1: OutdoorEdge.com.
0: Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Deer season is now behind us and it's time to start thinking about the fall of 2023. Um, I'm a big believer that deer hunting success in the fall of 2023 and future falls starts right now. Many of the best hunters out there That I have had the opportunity to speak with or interview on one of my shows have one thing in common, and that is that they scout more than they hunt. Now is the perfect time to get a jump start on your scouting for the year ahead. The woods are as open as they're going to be. Much of the sign from this past fall is still visible, and if you're fortunate enough to have a little bit of snow on the ground, deer trails and beds they stick out like a sore thumb Uh, so it's a great time to get out in the woods this is also the lowest risk time to scout in my mind there's no need to worry about spooking deer uh, onto your neighbor's property or running a buck out of his core area or ruining your next hunt with pressure the deer have all year long to forget about your intrusion so now is the best time to dive in deep and really figure out what the deer are doing. Now in this episode, I have the chance to talk with Aaron Hepler again, and this time we're talking about his approach to postseason scouting. Aaron is a serious public land hunter from Pennsylvania, and he consistently gets on above average deer for his area, despite pretty intense hunting pressure. One thing I think that makes him so successful is his commitment to scouting. As you're going to hear in this episode for Aaron, postseason scouting basically begins as soon as his buck tag is filled. So, uh, yeah, you're going to want to tune in and hear how he fine tunes his understanding of areas that he's familiar with already, how he locates and breaks down new areas and how he begins to formulate a plan for the next hunting season. This is a fantastic episode. Love having Aaron on whenever I can. So yeah, you're going to want to stick around and hear what he has to say. A couple of things before we dive into the conversation. First of all, if you haven't already, please go subscribe or follow this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Also leave us a review. If you can leave us a written review, that really, really helps, helps folks find this show and uh, helps us pop up a little higher whenever folks are searching for deer hunting podcasts. So if you would do that for me, I would be greatly appreciative. Also, if you're not already following us on Instagram, go do that. That's the best way to get a hold of me. If you want to reach out, tell me about guests or topics that you want to hear about, uh, or even just, you know, drop me a line. Let me know how things are going in your neck of the woods as far as your postseason scouting or getting ready for next year or maybe your success from this past year. Whatever it is, that's the best way to reach out. It's also how I communicate most of the time, updates from me about, you know, what I'm doing in the woods or new episodes that are launching. So be sure to go give us a follow there. And uh, last but not least, we do want to give a big thanks to our partners. First of all, Tacticam, they're the title sponsor of this show. And, uh, man, right now is a great time to go buy some Tacticam gear, gearing up for next year, right? When you buy a new camera or you buy a new piece of gear that's going to go on your bow or on your rifle, you want to get used to it. You want to have time to practice with it. You don't want it to be a hindrance in that moment of truth when that buck is walking down the trail or for what many of us are thinking about right now for when that gobbler is coming in. Uh, You don't want to be messing around with your stuff. So, Tacticam, go ahead and grab a 6.0 camera or their Solo Extreme camera. They're both fantastic. One has 4K footage. One has HD footage. One has an LCD touchscreen. One obviously has all the one-touch operation and weatherproof housing that you could want. And the big thing with both of these cameras is they are the absolute easiest, cheapest, and simplest way to get started filming your hunts. One of my favorite things to do is come home and show my family what I was able to see while I was out in the field. Now, maybe maybe that's because I filled a tag, but a lot of times it's not because I filled a tag. It's just I saw something cool and I videoed it and I want to bring it home and show it to them. Tacticam lets you do that. So go check them out at tacticam.com. Next up, Huntworth, they're running a sale right now, winter clearance sale. Everything on their site is 20 to 50% off. Some of my favorite gear from this past season is 40% off right now. So yeah, I would highly recommend If you're looking to get into some new camo next year, that is high quality, that is comfortable, that's going to keep you warm, that's going to get you blended in well, but that's not going to break the bank. Huntworth is what you need to check out. Go to their website, huntworthgear.com, and take advantage of their winter clearance sale. And then lastly, Onyx. Guys, I don't know, man. I don't know what else to say. Onyx is uh, the best app out there, hands down, for outdoorsmen. Whether you hunt, hike, fish, camp, whatever it is, Onyx is fantastic. I use it everywhere I go. I fill it up with waypoints. You can take pictures. You can add notes to different waypoints. Uh, it's it's just fantastic. If you're not already using Onyx, you can go get a free trial right now. Just find them on the App Store of your choice. Or you can go to their website to learn more, onyxmaps.com. Now let's jump into the conversation talking postseason scouting with Aaron Hepler. All right, back on the show with me today is Mr. Aaron Hepler. Aaron, long time no talk.
1: Yeah, for the uh, last hour we've been talking (laughs) yeah we've been
0: chatting for about an hour so far finally hit the record button uh and then we talked two days ago recorded another podcast we intended to talk um to talk some postseason scouting you know and get into strategy for that how you kind of wrap your head around it where you begin how you make your plan for the fall um But then I asked you about your season. We started hearing stories. I'm like, dude, like this is where we're going with this one. Like I want to hear the story of the bull and the story of the buck. And I realized, you know, on this podcast, it started out very much educational. And it still is, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's still educational. And then it moved from education about deer biology and where they live to hunting strategy. We talked a lot about hunting strategy, but we haven't done a lot of good hunting stories. And so it just kind of hit me. As soon as you started telling the story about the elk, I was like, dude, this is what we, we need right now. It's February. Like, let's yeah. let's all take a deep breath, <sighs> relax a little bit. Like, hunting is still fun. It's not a math problem all the time. We can sit back and enjoy it and, uh, yeah, share some stories. But at the end of that, you led right into how important your scouting is for your success. And you, like, teed it up perfectly. So at the end of that episode, I say, hey, we've got to get you back on the show and talk about postseason scouting and how you put together your plan for the fall. So, uh, man, let's let's kick it off there. People know who you are at this point. Um, here we are in February. What are you doing this time of year? Or are you uh, in recovery mode right now?
1: No, man, I'm 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 ready to go. I've started uh, started walking around already. I think the re- like you said, I think the reason um, the whole reason people like to hunt is because there's a story. Uh, you got a story to tell. Yep. Um, and then, you know, but you have to make the story, uh, it just doesn't happen. So my story always s- starts as soon as the hunting season ends. Like I, I live close to where I hunt and I just like to be outside. So, um, everybody, you know, has the opinion, Oh, like it's too early to get out and walk around. And, um, uh, you can scare all the deer sheds, this and that. Like, I like to find sheds too, but, I like to have a really good hunting fall Yeah, um, and the burnout is gone. Like that goes away. For, just, everybody's different. So you, you need to take your time and go uh, sit in a sauna or, a, you know, uh, Spencer new horse up and sit in a hot tub or something <laughs> for a while. You <laughs> go ahead and do that. Whatever, whatever it takes to get the burnout to, to fade. Um, mine's gone in about two weeks. And then I'm like ready to start stomping again. Yep. Um, but my daughter likes to hike. My wife likes to hike. Um, even if I'm not, uh, you know, bushwhacking through the woods and looking for deer sign, um, I'm walking uh, an access road or something with my wife while my daughter's in school and um, getting that. And it might not be like, Hey, that scouting's important, but Hey man, like if you find a, a way into where you're going, that's kind of a big deal, and yeah. if you can map out all these ways where you can get somewhere quicker, or use a different wind, or or use a way that people are using often, to um, be like, hey, well, this spot's already shot because this many people are using it. I can get in and then cut off where I want to go. Like that's helpful. Um, so yeah, I, I've done a little bit of that kind of thing, but then, you know, tacked on a few, um, either. Pulling some cameras out of the woods a little bit. I think I sent you some stuff on that the other day. Yep. Uh, pulling some cameras out of the woods or, um, you know, maybe maybe seeing if there's any early antler drop in some of those areas where I've seen bucks drop a little earlier. Um, I have a couple areas too where I like to to get off the road and let my daughter go nuts trying to find sheds or even, um, you know, my wife likes to look for sheds too. So even getting her into areas that aren't like ultra difficult, but kind of fun and maybe not somewhere I'm going to spend a lot of serious time shed hunting. Hey, that's a place where we're going to pick one or two up every year and it's kind of fun. And that we did, uh, my wife and I got off the road and went into some tickets that we like to check out every year cause they're kind of easy walking and, um, we found a shed a week or two ago already. So nice, nice Yeah,
0: man. The last, the last two years I've done something that, and you know, I realized now as we're talking how much it paid off. So I shot my buck in 2021 on November 2nd,
1: mm-hmm. November
0: 3rd, I literally started scouting. Like that was my first scouting trip. And part of it, I was pulling some cameras and that kind of thing because rifle season was coming up in, in Wisconsin and, I've learned better than to leave my cameras out during gun season mm-hmm. um, and so I'm pulling some but then I'm also scouting and I didn't realize till till right now the the pieces that I put together this fall are in large part owed to what I learned on November 3rd last year so like right. the, buck, the buck that I killed this fall was directly tied in. November 8th this year I kill my buck November 9th I'm in there scouting, putting the pieces together. Cause there was a little bit about how that buck was moving that I didn't quite understand. Right. And you know, then I pulled some more cameras that I hadn't yet gotten to because I like to hang cameras and then just not check them. Um, yeah. you know, and I used that Intel for next year and dude, when I pulled, I had two or three more cameras in there, I think three. And when I pulled those, I had this buck all over them. So I was like, Oh yeah, if I'd had that, like if those had been cell cameras, I would have been really dialed into what this deer was doing beforehand. But Uh, right anyway kind of like the way it plays out so yeah so you're getting out there two weeks later starting to stomp around are you using this time of year to fine-tune because what I'm doing a lot is immediately I'm fine-tuning an area right like I saw a deer do something I killed a buck now I'm going to get in there and figure out exactly what was going on
1: yeah are you Um, fine-tuning
0: spots or are you looking for new spots for next year
1: no I always do that um it So what you said is sometimes when you kill something or when you have an encounter, it is really important to go in there right after to see why. Yep. Okay. And I've, I've done that. um, You know, we went, uh, my buddy and I went in. uh, I told you the other day, the area that I killed my buck this past year was an area we hang a cell cam and, and have history of that. But it's like some of the things changed there recently and their movement is a little bit different, not a whole lot different. And also like I had it on a scrape that bush that the scrape is on is like it, that scrape didn't get hit quite as much mm-hmm. as it did in previous years, because yeah. that licking branch is really high now. Right. So we did go in there in rifle season and me and my buddy walked through the whole thing. Like who cares? It's rifle season, whatever. We just check this whole thing out. And there were a lot of things that made sense and a lot of adjustments that I'm going to make for next year in there. And also like, I know what I'm going to do. So that immediate even post hunt is important. I'm going to go back in there now and find even more detail than I found rifle. Like I'm really going to pick it apart because I know that that the changes that happen in there are going to be very good. And I need to find the detail in those areas. Like I learned more about where the does are betting and why the bucks are relating to it. I learned about where the bucks are betting and why they're traveling across it, where the dough bedding, the dough bedding they're relating to, and how they're using that scrape, those scrapes to check that dough bedding area. It's like, comp- makes complete sense, and um, I think that is important. Just pe- peeling those pieces apart, and I just sent you pictures um, of a friend of mine. Uh, a friend of mine um, just.
0: Oh, that's a toad. holy cow
1: (laughs) he killed that deer um not this past fall but uh two years ago uh it's nine and a half years old it's 165 inches Jeez.
0: and super unique rack
1: yep um this deer is in a pretty heavily pressured area and i think a lot of people knew about him and maybe that's why um but I, we, we were, you and I were talking about networking with people and learning people. No, I think one thing that you learn about hunters is when you're in an area and you get to know somebody, you do build respect for them. And, um, and after a while, although you kind of probably all play a little bit of um, you know, quiet cards, eventually you learn that the people you can trust and the people you do have respect for and you feel the respect back. This guy... There's a big story about this guy, but he, um, he brought his deer to a shop, uh, to have it scored. And I happen to know somebody that works at the shop and I show him pictures of this deer and he's like, Hey, I think I recognize that deer. And then he knows this guy now cause he recognized the deer. And then I told you about a friend of mine that I'm really close with. He met some other people on the land that we hunt and they share some stuff you know kind of like whatever but you know now we're pretty all open this other two groups of guys um texted him a picture and said i hope this buck's still alive this year and it was that buck and he texted me he's like have you ever seen that buck and i was like yeah it's dead and i sent him a picture of it (laughs) now i had not met the guy that shot the buck at this point yet but i ended up he's like if you could he my my good friend put me in touch with the people that had tons i mean he they had three years of pictures of this deer wow and by, like over 300 pic- they had tons of pictures of this deer in velvet ru- like all kind in rifle season during the day all kinds of pictures and they had his core area narrowed down to 150 yards like circle and um the guy that shot it ended up i don't i don't remember the date that he shot it Um, it was either one of the last couple days of October or our first couple days of November, but he happened to shed hunt the area a lot and he decided he's going to hunt this area on the day that he hunted it. And he ended up walking past the guys that had all these pictures of it and, um, you know, waving hi to him or whatever. And he kills this deer and I ended up, putting the guy that my buddy knows in touch with the guy that had the deer at the shop who put them in touch with the guy. And he got, they gave him all the pictures. They had two or three sheds of the deer. So they showed him the sheds. And actually the reason I'm talking about this, um, immediate post hunt scouting too, is, is because he went back to where he killed this buck three days later. And he's like, I want to find one of the sheds. Now, he had not met, remember, he had not met these other two guys yet. This was, they, he met them eight months after the fact, almost a year after the fact. He's like, I really want to find one of the sheds, and he gets up on this hump, and he's like, this really looks like a place a big buck would bed. And he looks down, and there is the shed from the year before from this buck. Oh, my goodness. It's like 67 inches, I think, 66 and uh, three quarters. It's a bit, it's huge. I. I went to his house and I saw the deer and held the antler and stuff. It's massive. And you can see it was the side. It was the really unique side with the turn, you know, turned down and the, and it's just huge. Like you can't even fit your hand around the base of the, of the, of the rack. Oh my gosh. And that was its big year. The year that he shot it, it might've been on the down, uh, on a downhill slope a little bit, Yeah. which who cares? It's uh, you can, that doesn't matter with a deer like that. Um, but the, the thing is, is he learned about a lot about that buck after he killed it.
0: Mm.
1: He learned how that deer was bedding, how that deer might've been using the area that he was hunting, the terrain, maybe how that deer was hiding. And that is going to benefit him a lot in the long run. And he had some good encounters on that, in that area this year, you know, uh, 120s, um, he, uh, missed, I told you the other day that a friend, that one of the two guys that we know, shot a really big one, and he actually missed that deer this year too. Man, um, so it's really it's really important if you have the couple hours to go see what that specific deer was doing, because you can learn from that specific deer. Because de- another deer is going to take that deer's place. Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. That deer made it to nine and a half years old at teeth age. You know, he sent the teeth in. It's nine and a half that deer should not be nine and a half years old. No. In a place like that should not be, but it was. So how did it get there? And that immediate post that immediate post hunt part will also tune you into what that deer was doing. And that's like a time where you're really not burned out. Right. A couple days after you kill a deer, you are on fire. Yep. You know? Yep. So, 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 uh, channel it, like use, like use that because it's, it's really, really important to, to having some, just having some good hunts later. Uh, the cool thing is, is I did get to meet that guy and I did get to meet those other two guys. And that's what I'm talking about is like, we built a lot of respect for one another. Um, we share trail camera pictures, we share Intel. Uh, I live the closest to the area. Um, I can tell them, uh, there's been this much pressure this week. There's been this much pressure this week because I'd take a drive and check parking lots if I'm not hunting or, I, you know, don't have time to whatever. If I've got like an hour or half an hour, I'll see what's going on because that's important to scouting. You know, it's not necessarily scouting for people, but seeing what an area might be uh, worth going into because if you have an area that's got 15 cars and an area that's got four cars, well, I guess and I guess I know where I'm going. Yeah. And you can, of course, do the overlooked thing in the next to the parking lot thing, which I don't really think as much of that gets overlooked as people think because mm-hmm. um, you find lots of tree stands next to the parking area still. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not saying there's no overlooked areas, but I think people spend time looking for overlooked areas. But if you're looking for them, uh, somebody else is, too, and they're probably not overlooked. Um, I think that word gets thrown around a lot.
0: Yeah, it can be used as a crutch. Mm-hmm. A lot of times of like, oh, well, I'm trying to hunt the overlooked area. It's like, yeah, maybe, or maybe you're just looking for a good excuse to be a little lazier, which is fine. And if you, if you want to hunt right next to the parking lot, more power to you, like, like do your thing, man, whatever yeah. you want to do in the woods, that's perfectly fine.
1: Yeah, But you and don't you, have to you, couch
0: you, it in, I, I'm in an overlooked spot. It's like, I just didn't want to walk for an hour and that's okay. Right.
1: One hundred percent. And you can still have good hunts next next to the parking lot. It's definitely not like a thing that you can't do. It's just like I think if you're looking for an overlook look spot, you're not going to find it because the way that, you know, an area is overlooked is that, you know, that it's not been hunted. Yeah. And how do you know that unless you see people going like. I can't tell you how many, when I first started the public land thing, like, oh, nobody's ever going to come out here or nobody's ever going to find this spot. And then like you hunt there and people are walking under your tree stand, or you have eight dudes on your trail camera and you're like, I did not realize someone else was willing to do this. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people that really, really love to deer hunt. yep, And there's a lot of people that are just as good and probably quite a few that are better than you, there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of people that hunt near me that are better than me and I can learn something from them, but I also want to respect that person. Um, so if they're if I have that opportunity, like I want to like give them leeway, like, uh, the couple guys that I know now, you know, like it's not that we don't hunt the same spots, but it's like, Hey, what's your plans here? Like put the elephants, if you're doing something like that, put the elephant in the room. If you're gonna get pissed because somebody else is gonna sit there, um, you need to make sure that you're keeping yourself in check and being like, hey, is he gonna get pissed if I sit there? Like, that's a lot of drama, maybe, but like you could we wanna think about some of those things because like I do want to build friendships and that I mean it's what it's all about, right? Like it's great to shoot a buck, but I want all those guys to shoot a buck too. And that's something like um uh, today, as, as far as my circle of friends, everybody did really well this year. Um, I, I, you know some people had the struggle bus thing, but then you know, uh, three of us killed public land bucks. Um, the guy with that uh, deer that I just sent you, he killed a really great buck on a farm that he had permission on had a lot of great encounters. Um, my buddy I talked to you about earlier killed uh, a 150 on his brand new farm. Um, he, he just bought a nice farm, not too long ago, but he shot a really, really great buck there and, um, had some really great encounters on public too. So it is part of the networking thing. It's part of, uh, you you just, like I said, the respect thing is very important.
0: Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the how to hunt deer podcast is brought to you by tacticam makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with a 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. And I I think that's probably um, a thing that is overlooked in the public land realm is how helpful it can be to open up a little bit for those guys. Maybe they're not our best buddy, but they hunt the same area. And yeah. maybe we're not going to be best friends all year long, but sharing intel, like I have very seldom shared intel with somebody that I knew I could trust who was on the same piece of public. Like that usually ends up working out for for both of us, right? So, And there are some things that you keep a little closer to the vest, right? Like, you know, for instance, this year, I had uh, an 11 point that was in that 160 range and I kind of knew where he was, but I kind of didn't too. And Mm -hmm. then I would catch him on other parts of this property and he was less consistent than the smaller deer that I ended up taking. And you know, I had a buddy. I'm like, dude, I know where he's at 28% of the time. Like if you want to go hunt this deer, if you don't have a beat on something else, go throw some sits at it because I'm not going to waste my time, you know, on this deer that's kind of acting a little bit like a ghost. Like he'll, he'll pop in middle of the day randomly, and then he'll do it again six days later, randomly. It's like, I'm not going to sit the same spot for six days and hope in hopes that he'll be there. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have another buck you're after here, go chase it. Mm -hmm. I got back to the parking lot this year and a guy pulls in a guy that I knew. He's actually a a dog tracker. He helped me uh, two years ago um, with a buck that I shot there in Wisconsin. And he was like, oh, yep, it's weird to see that deer dead. I was like, oh, really? Tell me more. He starts sharing pictures with me. And he was Mm -hmm. like, but I'm kind of surprised you shot him over here because I was getting pictures of him way over here. And it was like, I don't know, 800 yards as the crow Mm -hmm. flies. And he had spent the whole summer down on this other end of the property. And I was not getting him on trail cameras on the end of the property where I was hunting. And then I found out from this guy, oh, yeah, the, the landowner here has a brother. And that brother started hunting that area because he got pictures of that buck. He
1: mm-hmm. started hunting
0: that area around mid-October. Mm-hmm. Well, guess when the buck that I shot showed up on my cameras for the first time? Mm-hmm. About October 20th. So mm-hmm. it was, I think that guy bumped that deer and pressured him out of that. So he went to the next best area. Um, and that's that's how I got on him because I was chasing that 11 point. I was trying to figure him out. Um, right. And actually, I missed that 11 point by about an hour and a half one day this, this year during the rut. A thunderstorm rolled in, lightning rolled in, and I was like, I got to pull out. I can't do lightning and hail, you know, out here in a tree. And yeah. if I would just stuck it out for the 45 minutes of lightning and hail, he would have walked 25 yards from me, uh, which kind of a bummer. But, hey, I'm alive. I was uh, going
1: to say, or you could have died. <laughs> yeah, uh. yeah, like who, who knows? I could
0: have been I could have been sitting there dead in my tree as he walked underneath <laughs> me too. So, uh, you know, there's that. But, but yeah, man, I, th- I think that networking piece and – you know, sharing the information that we can, finding a couple of guys that we can trust can be a huge part, especially this time of year, right? Like, I don't want to share a ton on October 15th,
1: mm-hmm. right,
0: of what I think is going on. Mm-hmm. You catch me in February? Like, yeah, I'll share a little more. Let's, let's talk about oh, what yeah. we saw this year. Like, now's time to pull out the notes. We can all kind of go back to putting ourselves first, you know, next season and, and mm-hmm. keeping some things, you know, just for us or whatever. But, man, sharing postseason notes of I had this buck here, I killed this buck here, that can be super helpful.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. The, these Some of these guys that I'm talking about is the same way, like uh, there's probably some pictures that um, they didn't share with me or I didn't share with them, and uh, but now we are. It's like, hey, did you see this buck at all? Like I, I had him here and here, and then it's like kind of put some more pieces together. Yeah. Right? Yep. And that's really helpful, uh, part of postseason scouting too is that network of guys because these guys are just as hardcore as I am. Like, you know, they got the the nine to fives or whatever, and they but they just they love it just as much as I do.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it is easier to, like I said, it just goes back to the the more you build that relationship with somebody, the more likely you guys are to have success. Yep, and that. That's really really hard because there's probably one one in every crowd where you're like, he's just gonna go in there and mess it up, and you know maybe you can maybe that person will change when you're in front. But like it, it it can be it can be like a daunting thing to like jump into a a, a friendship with strangers. Um, but I think it is kind of one one cool and important thing about social media is like that is something that can happen and it's just like, Hey, I don't like social. As, sometimes the social media thing irritates me, but at the same time, like, Hey, it's not going anywhere. Um, it, it might not be Facebook and Instagram in 20 years, but like, uh, it's going to be something. Yep. And, um, if we're all using it right and learning to respect each other better, especially in the hunting community, then it's like, Hey, I'm that the way it's been working for me with those couple of people, I think that was really cool uh, this fall. Like that was something a little bit different um, and, and pretty cool. And, and again, beneficial to the, to the post-season thing. Cause like I said, we've been sharing pictures and I'm like, Hey, like, well, we might be able to figure that deer out next year or like uh, how they're using it, not, maybe not necessarily a specific deer, but if you're learning how those bucks are using the area, yep. like, Again, I, I would like to, my main goal would be to try to shoot something Pope, but again, I'm not going to pass a 110 up at this point in, in, in the hunt for me. Like I like, I like shooting deer. Yeah. So, uh, 110 inch deer still makes me happy. It still makes me shaking my boots when he's coming and I'm going to shoot him every time right now. Yep. And maybe that'll change after I've shot a whole bunch of them or like, I have something that I, there's always one buck of course that I really want to shoot, but like. The other ones make me just as happy as he does. And they're not going to, in that moment, in that excitement of the hunt, it's not different. Like it wouldn't be different. I wouldn't be more excited to shoot him. So, yeah. Um, But I think that that is, you know, kind of a cool different aspect of the postseason scouting and and we're going to probably all get the shed hunt together or, you know, pick this area apart. And I think that's something that's really cool.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, Maybe we, maybe we call this that um, post hunt scouting almost for this piece. Yeah. Uh, that post hunt scouting, you know sign is freshest maybe season's not even over yet. What are some of the things that you're looking for as you're like, hey, you know maybe I killed here in this spot maybe I just had a good encounter, but I really want to get this place dialed in. What are some of those things that you're starting to look for that are that are clues for you and, and I want to tee it up with this so the buck that I got this year, Uh, There were two really important features that really changed my thoughts on how the deer used this. Number one, uh, a windstorm had blown down a tree at a creek crossing Mm -hmm. in another spot, and that had a huge impact on how the deer were crossing this area. It changed not only that creek crossing, but another crossing that they were using on another little ditch, and rather than crossing further down the ditch, they moved up about 75 yards and were crossing the ditch in another place because that was the easiest access to avoid the later creek crossing, right? It was another good trail. So they just basically shifted trails totally by about 75 yards. So those two little things that I pieced together is like, boom, it made all the difference in the world. I killed the deer. I went back in there later. It's like, oh, this is exactly, you know, why they had made this shift. What are some of the things that you're looking for to, you know, kind of fine tune, or get a spot dialed in.
1: Well, what you just said is really important. And I, am going to relate it. I actually interviewed Dan the other day for, uh, uh, an article that I'm writing or that I wrote. It should be, should be up soon. Um, I asked him like, how are you making, if you're going into postseason scout, how are you making the adjustment before the season? Are you going in there in the summertime and seeing how they're moving? And, he said something that I already use and that I find pertinent. Like I don't really go back in there. Like if I'm going in there to hang a camera or something, I probably won't check that camera until I go to hunt the area, but I'm not looking for how the deer are moving there through there in the summer. I will go there if I need to find a fine tuned detail, like you're talking about, like, Hey, a tree went down and now they're not using this trail. Why are they not using this trail? Because like you said, they shifted 70 yards, but a post hunt is probably going to tell you, um, the biggest thing about like, Hey, like these, like I said, with, with the buck that I killed this year is like, Hey, they're moving a little bit different. Why is that? Well, I know why it is because, uh, there were a few new cuts, uh, this year they shifted 60 yards really from the way they moved years prior. Um, the doe bedding shifted just a little bit, the way the bucks were traveling, the, the cover changed a little bit and the bucks were utilizing it to hide going paralleling this ridge. Well, I know that because I hunted there and I observed once and then I scouted it after I killed the buck. And I think, like you said, you learned about that tree being down and deer using that crossing differently. And I found out with my buck because they were using the the cover differently and they were going to a destination differently than they were before. And I knew that because like now I just checked out why they were doing that shortly after the hunt, you know. Um, and Dan said in this article that I'm interview or I interviewed him for is like, don't go into the area unless you really need to find the eight ball. Like if you really need it, like you have an idea, but you were bow hunters. Like you, if you gun hunt great, but if you gun hunt, you have a better opportunity to be able to see maybe a distance and, and make a further shot. But a bow hunter, you, 10 yards is going to make a difference. You know, if you, if your range is 40 yards on a whitetail and they're 55 or 60, like that's it, like yep. That's the difference. And you could have maybe learned that right after the hunt. Um, unless something drastic changes, like a tree falls in the summer or something and changes the way they move. Like that's different. But if you don't have a bead on how they're moving, then yeah, like Dan said, you need to get in there and find that eight ball and maybe do go hang a camera there in the summer. Um, uh, maybe, and I'm talking about Dan Johnson, not Dan Infall. Um, just, <laughs> just, just to clarify, the emperor himself. Yeah. The emperor himself. Um, so, uh, I think that is important just to get like a beat on things and, uh, um, you just need to stay away. Uh, if you do go in there after the summer, you need to stay away. Like you can't, everybody wants to go check that camera that camera isn't really going to help you much until next year anyway. Yep. Maybe you'll learn about a specific buck that you want to hunt. But uh, for an area that I'm actually going to spend time hunting, I probably won't check that camera until I go hunt. Maybe I'll pull the card if I'm literally passing the camera, like not going out of my way at all. Um, To learn inventory, put cameras in a spot that makes sense to check it for inventory. Um, or better yet, uh, put a you could put a cell cam in a spot that you think you're going to hunt. That's fine. But if you're using it for inventory, you're still working off of, you know, there's all this talk about this live stream camera stuff and whatever. We're not going to talk about that. Um, but if you're using a cell cam that, that stuff is already happened and maybe it'll help you tomorrow. Um, or you get an idea of like a hot streak or something, but um, put even putting a cell cam in an area you're going to get inventory will tell you maybe if you if you're interested in shooting a specific type of deer or a specific deer, putting putting it on some kind of tucked in food source is a good idea, because then you're going to get that inventory. When you need to go change batteries in your cell cam, you're not going to an area you're going to hunt. But if it's close enough to the area you're going to hunt, you're still probably going to get the same bucks on that camera. Yep. Um, and that's a good way to utilize cell cameras. And then if you're somebody who's really like on the fence about a cell cam, whether it's ethical or not, um, I am not somebody who thinks a cell cam is is ethical because honestly, they've never really helped me directly kill a deer. Mm. Um, they've helped me kill deer. But not like, hey, buck's there now. Got to get there. I've never had that, and I, I don't know if I did. If I would use it, Um, I haven't to this point. So I, you know, I don't. um, The closest I got to something like that was this year. We had a buck on the evening before, and I decided to. I was already deciding to hunt somewhere near that area before we got the picture and then that kind of made my decision like oh, I'm going to go in there tomorrow morning but the area I still hunted was still 300 yards away from that camera. Yeah. I was not hunting that camera per se and I I got it right he just was there like 3 hours before I got there. Oh but bummer. I checked I checked the regular camera that I had in the spot that I wanted to hunt and he was there two like 2 or 3 hours before I got there. But besides the point if you want inventory Um, using a cell cam in an area that like something like a a big community scrape or some kind of tucked in food source is a good idea. And then it's uh, not invasive and you can go um, uh, uh, maintain that camera as you need to.
0: Yeah. So let's circle around then to, all right, we're we're truly in the postseason now, right? Like season is over, it's done. And maybe rather than fine tuning the areas that I already hunt, I want to branch out and find some new locations. Maybe it's because uh, I didn't have the luck I wanted to this year in my spots. Maybe it's because if you're like me and probably like a lot of you guys, you just want to add more places because the more places you can have, the higher your odds or the more your odds go up. I mean, it's just I've learned the value of that over the last couple of years of like I don't want one area that I can hunt, you know, from any wind direction. That's great to have that area. I want 12 areas that I can hunt like that and sort of, pick a spot, start tightening the noose. If I'm ha- if I'm having good encounters, stick with it. If not, bump onto somewhere else. So where do you go then when it comes time to, okay, I want to find some new areas?
1: Yeah, I do actually have a, a process uh, for this because I I always want to do, I always have like probably 15 places on it and you never get to all of them, but like, um, so I'll, say that I do like to shed hunt and the spot that I know the best is the place that's going to probably have the most antlers. Um, And if I go too early, maybe I will bump those deer out of there and mess it up. And maybe I don't need to learn. I know enough about it. Now I have a base of how the deer are moving through that. Now I probably can always, you always can learn a few details about the place because there's, there's some piece of, Uh, vegetation that you didn't walk behind the last time that you're going to learn something new about like, Oh, Hey, what's this? Um, So I want to go back to those areas that I know well, because I need to find the new details and things always change in the woods. So you need to find those new details. That's on my radar for the end of February, middle of March, beginning of April, those places that I've already been. I make a list of the places that I want to go to. And then I prioritize them. Like, what am I going to use that for? I talked the other day about special regulations in PA. There's a place that we like to hunt that's um, some public, that's a nice piece of public in one of the special regulations. And I don't scout it that often. Well, I have that on the top of my list to go to, uh, you know, in the next two weeks. I want to go there and I want to pick that area apart, not necessarily to shoot a buck, but I like... I want to go there and kill a couple does in September before the regular season opens. I want to go and learn that area. And I don't really care about the sheds in that area. Cause I know really not that much about it at all. Um, that area is cool, but it doesn't hold like a special place to me yet. So I'm going to go and I'm going to, um, find the different access points, like the, the different parking areas. I'm going to walk a couple of trails and I'm going to go to, a few specific waypoints and, and try to find out which ones are holding deer in that area. And then I'm going to look around for stuff that looks like that or, um, you know, and then also I'm going to mark when I get to those places, I'm going to mark something that I want to like soak a camera in and be like, Hey, build some history over this place. And then eventually you won't have to hang a camera there because you know, like, Oh, this place is good at this time of year. And this is where I can go to kill those early season does or or pattern, uh, an early season buck or whatever you want, whatever your goal is for that property. So I've already, my postseason now, i I'm not too far in, but I've got like 20, 20 or 25 miles under the belt, um, in the last two and a half weeks. And I've checked out three areas, or three or four areas that I haven't been to before. And, um, or, you know, spent some time, small games hunting in and was like, Hey, this might, uh, we've got to check this out. And I found some pretty great stuff already. And, um, maybe I'll get back to shed hunting. Maybe I won't, but I know where I'm going to go hang some cameras in the summer. And I learned something about, um, how to access that and why maybe it would be difficult for somebody else to access it. You know, some, you know, some water access or, um, you know, what kind of barriers are there? Am I going up real steep stuff or through real thick stuff, whatever that is, but I'm learning those new, I get to learn those new areas now because again, everybody likes to find some antlers. I know the best places that I know right now and how to find the antlers there and when they drop and all that stuff. So I'm going to go to those areas later because I can fine tune those details, go to the, all those areas where I think there's antlers in and learn a few new things about the property I already know but now I have the opportunity to really pick apart something new and, uh, you know, just have a little bit of a different uh, kind of adventure, I guess you could say, on those new places.
0: This episode is brought to you by the OnX Hunt app. OnX gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. One tool I'm loving right now is their Optimal Wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location, then tells you in real time whether the wind is good Bad or just okay for that spot? You can try it risk free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. So when you're when you're making this list and you're going to prioritize it, what are some of the? I'm I'm assuming you're doing that through like e scouting. Yep. What are some of the the big features that are standing out to you? Like, do you have in your mind? I mean, I know there are some guys who get like, hey, I'm looking for this specific thing, no matter where I'm at. Or are you more just kind of approaching the map saying, okay, what's here? What could be good? And then when you when you prioritize that list, what are the things that make those spots jump up to the top?
1: So a brand new property, I'm going to go to the way, the features that everybody knows about. Everybody's read uh, that Mapping Trophy sales book. It's a great book. If you're a new hunter, you should read it because you will learn a lot of basics about reading a map and how deer use terrain um just because a deer uh just because people hunt a lot in saddles on a ridge while deer still use them right they're probably one of the most pressured spots on a a map now um because it's everybody knows deer use saddles a lot of them are getting night pressure or a lot of nighttime deer movement now
0: down here in the south they might be getting night pressure too so (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> very true um so maybe deer are using them at night but like they still use them so are they betting in them are they traveling through them now i'm going to i get there i see what it looks like is there hunting pressure there if it's not maybe i found um a saddle that's not hunted and maybe deer do use it during the day um you're going to learn that through history you're not going to know if anybody hunts it like You know, maybe you'll find some trash wrappers or whatever, but until you know somebody's not using it during the season, you don't really know. Um, But I'm going to backtrack that and go find those micro areas around that. Like, uh, is there um, some folded ditches that don't really show up? Like maybe they show up as little squiggly lines on your e-scout and it's, you know, 100 yards off that saddle. Um, uh, Maybe there's like um, a little steeper point like a little steeper edge that you didn't notice because it's hard to, um, make your eyes adjust to those, uh, contour lines when you're looking at the map. And maybe that buck is cruising right along the top of that steep part. That's also maybe a little bit off of that main terrain. Um, so I'm looking at those big waypoint features, those big ridge points, the saddles, uh, the benches, those kinds of things. And then I'm working my way back from that. And, um, Like I want to know about that main area because deer use those main areas. People hunt those main areas and they hunt them because deer are there at some point in time. And the sign either shows you that. Maybe the cameras show you that. Maybe you've had an encounter on one of those. Um, And those areas can still hold deer and they can can still kill a big buck on a big feature, especially during the rut because maybe that buck is new to the area and doesn't know there's 18 tree stands on the end of a point. Yeah, But if you go to the end of the point or a main feature, you're probably going to find a lot of tree stands and people sign. Um, So I'm not telling you to hunt that main feature, but coming off of that main feature, where are those micro features? You're a deer, you're a bow hunter. You don't need to see 200 yards. You need to see 20. And if you know that deer is going through that micro area in that 20 yard circle, that's where you want to be because you're going to have your best opportunity to kill that deer and maybe you don't see 50 deer that day because you can only see 20 or 30 yards but um i've had a couple opportunities to kill some good bucks in an area i couldn't see 40 yards uh the buck that i talked about on the last the first bow buck that i killed i talked on the last podcast i couldn't see more than 15 yards wow um that was my that was my far shot um was 15 yards but i knew there was going to be a deer going through there because it made made sense why he would be there you know using the water that he was using and 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 cruising for does and it was a it was the wind chill was cold that day but it was 55 degrees a deer with a big coat's not going to notice a wind chill when he's out looking for does so it made sense for him to want to stop at water at some point um and it made sense why he was coming through there. Cause there was no bedding close to there. Right. So those micro areas and not caring about how much you can see it, it can pay off.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to um, those spots, you're almost using it. You know, I think about all the, the articles that I've read over the years and deer and deer hunting magazine and that kind of thing. Uh, you're almost treating those big features. Like you would treat a food source. Like if you go back and read those articles, they're like, Hey, Find the food source. Yeah, it might be night activity, but back off of them a couple hundred yards and boom, you're in the deer. You're doing that with these big obvious terrain features that are getting pressure. People are probably hunting them. And you're getting in there and saying, okay, once I've confirmed deer movement here, then I'm going to back off of these a couple hundred years or a couple hundred yards, not years. That'd be weird. Uh, and and kind of dial in those micro areas. When you get to a spot, I've had this happen a lot, and I'm curious where you go with this. You pick a spot on a map. You walk in, and it's just looks like it's not happening. Like it, the sign isn't, isn't quite there. How do you adjust for that? Do you walk into a spot and say, okay, the sign's not here. I'm pulling out. Or are you going to push for those secondary micro areas and check a few of those before you write it off?
1: I'm going to check them. Um, okay this was something else I talked about with Dan too, but I, I won't say, I won't say what, I don't want to give away too much of that article that I wrote, but I'll <laughs> uh, have to go
0: read I, it. Where, where will I'll they say, find it?
1: Uh, it's going to be on um, the truth from the stands blog. Okay. Um, I'll send you the link for it then Sweet. Uh, when, when it, when it gets posted. Um, but I'll tell you what I do for that. Cause I do do something a little bit similar, but I've already scouted um, an area that I know very well because I've, I've uh, spent my entire life hunting pheasants there, and my whole life chasing deer around it, and um, hiking. And by like I live, you know, it was place my parents took me all the time. I've never really picked it apart for deer at all. But when I'm small game hunting there, I see like this sign and that sign, and this, you know, oh, oh yeah, it's probably good. It gets absolutely pounded. Mm but I don't know how much of it's deer pressure. Like I know there they, you know, I know there's a lot of other type of recreation and hunting that goes on there. So you don't know, like I said, you don't know until you know. So this whole place in general looks the same wherever you go on the 6,000 acres that I think it's 6,000, maybe 3,000 somewhere, somewhere between three and 6,000 wherever you go there it all pretty much looks the same and it's not like an urban area. It I mean, kind of, it, it's becoming more urbanized around it. Um, but uh, you know, the woods is not high quality. Um, so pretty much everywhere you go, it's like, well, there's plenty of deer here because people Kill lots of deer during the rifle season here. There's a couple good bucks that come out of the area every year, um, but what is going to be different about this area? So I get into it, and sometimes you're like, Ugh, "This sucks." Like there's honeysuckle everywhere. Like it's just, just not great woods. But then you find a trail in there, and you're like, "You, if you walk enough in an area like that, and remember, I'm doing this now where." I'm like, I don't really care what I'm finding. I'm just out for a hike. I'm just out to to clear my mind. I'm out to have a good time. And you run into something, then you're like, oh, this, this looks good. And then you follow that, and then you get to, oh, this looks better. Oh, this is the hub of where all this is coming from. Oh, look at that access. I got to use a boat. Yeah. Or, you know, hey, so then you're like, that area now that was not great. You went out and had a good time and you followed a whole bunch of stuff to something to one of those micro spots that you're like, "Bing, I'm going to put a camera here. I'm going to hunt this area once at least to get some observation. Um, I'm going to plan some access into here. Uh, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, so you're going to put some work in before mm-hmm. you just write a spot off. I've I've been guilty in the past of of number one, devoting way too much time to a spot that wasn't great, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I've also been guilty of pulling the plug too soon, only to return to the spot later and be like, ah, okay, I was 200 yards off the mark. I just missed it. Like, I just didn't, I didn't give it enough of a go. When you're walking through this time of year, you know, you're looking for a lot of that sign that's left over from the previous fall and not, not terribly interested in exactly what the deer are doing in February, necessarily. Um, how are you gauging and kind of putting a timeline together for when the deer are using an area? Like when you walk in, you find sign. How do you distinguish whether that's late September, mid October, first week of November, or are you looking more for things that are relevant sort of season long?
1: Uh, when you post season scout, it is, it's hard to decipher all the stuff because the deer have had a whole season now to make sign. Yep. Um, I tend to find that uh, the areas that you're going to now, if the sign is fresh, that's probably the area the deer are going to use in September, October, early on, right? Because they're going back to um, uh, oak flats and picking at the red oaks that are left over if so they're not rotted. Um, they're eating... Uh, Around here, they eat a lot of, uh, if you've listened to, to Johnny Stewart at all, they, they eat a lot of ferns. Mm, okay, <laughs> yeah, he loves up, his ferns. Oh, he does. I want to make a t-shirt that just says ferns and have Johnny's <laughs> face on it. Have, like,
0: dug up have <laughs> dug up bulbs, fern yeah. bulbs or whatever.
1: They do, though. It's ridiculous. Like, I found so many sheds and stuff like that. And um, uh, if you find an area that's, like, really torn up, it's probably a lot of does, but – um hey uh that's not a bad thing if you know where the does are you know um but yeah so anything that's like fresh now there's a there's a pretty good chance that those are the areas that you can go back to in that early part of the season okay um and then you can also uh kind of give a good idea to rubs if you're finding rub lines that's probably a lot of like pre-rut activity yep um Uh, and you have to match it with train, right? Like if you have the easiest example is like, if you have, we'll give two easy examples, big woods. If you have a rub line that's running perpendicular to a ridge, it goes from one side to the other, or you have it running parallel, probably pre rut sign. Um, If you have uh, rubs that are running along a field edge, probably pre rut sign. Those scrapes that deer make under little bushes on field edges, probably pre rut sign. Um, so you can say that like you may on those areas, you might have that mid October burst where you get like the 14th, 15th, 16th, and then, um, end of October and that end of October, people talk about the end of October a lot, but that still plays into the first, you know, four or five days of November. So you can kind of look at sign like that. Um, rubs that are clustered and i know we talked about this on our very first podcast together but those rubs that are clustered together um if you can match those with a bed that makes sense for how that deer might be trying to protect itself that's probably a buck bedding area yeah um now when is he bedding there you know clint did a podcast with um a biologist from mississippi i think and i think that they found that bucks were actually using uh beds more consistently during the rut than people think yep especially in that first part of it um and they returned to that bed at that time so you might have a little bit of um, investigating to do on um whether or not that is going to be a place that they start using towards the end of october early november or is that a place where hey this buck is um staying away from mosquitoes in september and uh and and figuring out where that that, um, those warm season grasses are and the light food that, you know, uh, I always talk about vegetation and everybody's hungry for a salad in August when it's hot and nobody wants like, uh, you know, beef stew in August. So that, you know, got to match it to the food that they're around when they're betting. Like maybe they want, um, uh, like, uh, alfalfa is a big early summer thing or beans, um, our big early summer thing, you know, that light stuff that they can really get into. So you match that tap bedding to that kind of stuff. And then that sign will tell you more when you have more information like that.
0: Yeah. So bridging the gap then to uh, your fall hunting, right? Like you're, you're, you're locating these areas, you're prioritizing your list, you're going in, you're finding the things that you're looking for. You're working with terrain features and sign and you kind of start to process it all. And that's, I mean, you can explain until you're blue in the face what that looks like, um, but the only thing that's gonna get you there is experience, right? Uh Like that, the only, gosh, I could ask you 35 questions about your next steps between then and when you put cameras on a spot, and experience is the only thing, right? Like it's just, there's no easy answer there. But bridging the gap, you go back in and you're placing some of these cameras in the summer, sort of making that plan for the fall. What are the spots that are going to get those cameras so that you can continue to gain intelligence? And what are the spots that you're like, you know what, I think I got it. I'm going to throw a sit or two at this and observe and and maybe be on the money, but maybe not. Like, what's mm-hmm. the difference between a spot that gets a camera for you and a spot that you're just like, eh, I'm just going to go in there on October seventh and see what happens?
1: I I tend to use. Um so summer cameras, we we do hang cam like cell cams in the summer. We probably don't turn them on till September, two weeks before the season or something. It helps to save battery, and I'm not really interested in. I I usually go and check all my regular cameras uh, if I unless it's in a really sensitive place, like if it's in the middle of a bedding area, I'm not checking it until I'm going to dive in into hunt that area because those. The, area, the cameras that I've put around it are the ones that I can go and check and, and find out what deer might be living in there. Um, and then, like, you have that confirmation, like, hey, this deer is in this area. He's traveling this way. I bet you he'll be on that camera when I go in to hunt it anyway. Write that one off. Leave it alone. Um, but I told you how I like to use cell cams is, like, kind of get the inventory, kind of know what's around. We put a camera on a really uh, summary type food source, And um, we get a lot of inventory on that camera and a lot of excitement out of that camera and a lot of great Velvet Fest pictures out of that camera. And then I can go and change those batteries and it doesn't matter. That particular camera is, there is so many trails crisscrossed in there. You don't even know which one is the main trail. Um, It's not on any, I guess the terrain might be a little bit different. Like it kind of rolls off a little bit um, where we have the camera directed gently. Um, but it's in the, in the middle of this food source and this is where as many trails as I can possibly get come together. Gotcha. Um, my grandfather used to say about shooting a deer that there's more room on them or around them than there is on them. And it's the same thing with a trail camera when you're like, okay, well there's literally 20 trails here. Which one do I put it on? Well, will just put it where they all cross. Like you're going to, okay, maybe the deer is coming from behind the camera, but you could put 15 cameras up there and still miss the deer that's on the trail behind that t- particular camera. Yep. So you're going to have to have the experience of a hunt there to really learn which how they like to travel that. But you're going to get plenty of deer on that camera that you hung, so you'll get your inventory. Um, the other cameras that I'm hanging, I might, if I'm going in to check, it's probably because I think, uh, they're going to run out of battery. Like if I hang a camera in March um, because it's an area that I wanted to get to and I have time to hang the camera early and I'm going to go spend more time over here hanging a bulk of cameras, I, I, I know that camera is going to be dead at, in the middle of October when I wanted pictures on it to build history. So I'm going to go back in there and check that camera probably the end of August because then that lets the deer cool down pretty much. Middle of August is usually uh, a good time to I'll go check that get some velvet fun velvet pictures or whatever, get excited for the season and uh, change my batteries in that camera. Or if you're using lithiums, it really shouldn't have a problem with photos. Um, but just to check on the camera in general, just because maybe a spider made a web over the thing, or you bird landed on it and changed the angle of the camera. Um, something like that. So you do want to maintain those cameras, but as little as possible, in my opinion, um, but I'm hanging cameras. I'm hanging SD card cameras, more SD card cameras in places I'm actually going to hunt, for a couple of reasons. One, the places I'm going to hunt are so often too thick, um, and the cell service was already weak there, and it it might not be the best place to hang a cell cam unless you know that that you know, oh, AT and T doesn't work good on this mountain, but Verizon does. And uh, you can get better reception that way. Um, if that's the case, then you know do do what you want. but usually those places where I'm hanging SD card cameras and I want to hunt, I don't really have cell signal. Um, so I'm hanging those cameras there and I'm checking them and building a history. Um, if I get to check that camera because it is one of those areas, that's something to get excited about. If you've got a buck that's using that pretty regularly, Um, but if you're checking on preseason, that's going to be your early season spot. You know, if you have a buck that's coming on there, maybe he'll move. Maybe he won't. Unfortunately, where I, where I tend to hunt a lot of bucks hold in that area. Um, you know, they shift a little bit, but like, I'll still, then I'll get them on that this side of the cameras versus this side of the cameras or something like that. Yeah. Um, so then you can kind of have a a plan for the whole season, right? Like I know where I'm going to hunt early. Last year, I had these cameras here, and this is where I get to hunt mid-October. Didn't have a lot of early pictures, or there's all these different bucks, but I had this buck that I had over here. Like, you know, ours are spread over maybe a mile, half a mile, somewhere between half and a mile. I had this buck over here in mid-October, and he's over here now in July, and vice versa. So now you've built that history. Now you've got that experience. Now you've hunted there a couple of times. Now you've seen how the deer move. Um, so as far as cameras go, they're a tool. And if you use them the right way, you'll learn a lot from them. But if you're using them because they, you think they replace your scouting, they're not going to help you.
0: Yep, that's right. They they almost just add inflection to your scouting. You know what I mean? They just they give it a little bit of flair, uh, a little bit of um, a little more oomph than, yeah. than just your scouting would. It, it And for me you know Two big things one where's the Daylight movement because the sign counts But it really counts when it's daylight And two having the inventory Of knowing whether this Area you know it might be 50 acres whether that 50 acre chunk Is one that I should go spend some time in Because of what's running Around there or maybe I should avoid it Because it's all does and I'm not hunting For does right now
1: um, yeah oh, Go ahead well, I, I, to that point, like the, to the 50 acre thing, like that is really important because if you're hunting this 50, you don't want to, I don't like, I, I don't like to, to sound like I know everything. And I don't want to say like this 50 acres is the one or whatever. But if you, you don't know what you don't know and you don't like, I don't want to also be greedy and be like, I need an inventory. Cause I know I want to know what bucks I'm hunting. I don't need to know what bucks I'm hunting. Sure. Because Uh, like I don't mind being surprised, but I also like, I just need to know that deer like the area. Yep. So if they like, if you put your cameras in the 50 acre to get an inventory and you get 10 bucks, but then you have cameras in this other 50 that's next to that and you have 20 bucks, well, which one is going to be your best percentage? Well, this area seems to have more deer. If I shift a little bit past that, is there going to be more deer? Like, Are they moving here because they feel more comfortable here? This area had 10 deer. That's not bad. This one had more. There's obviously something they feel good about there. And that is more of your inventory. Like inventory is about numbers sometimes, right? Um, Not necessarily quality bucks because eventually quality bucks are probably going to use the area. But the more deer there, the better your opportunity is at, being successful
0: exactly and, it, and that's and it,
1: you right, know the camera can tell you that
0: yep and i i'm not holding out we, we talked about it last time i'm not holding out for a 140 uh if one walks by great mm-hmm. i'm not holding out for though and and like i mentioned earlier with that 11 point that i was chasing around i want the higher odds which means the higher concentration of bucks that i would like to to shoot right mm-hmm. and so yeah if there are 20 over here and 10 over there I can tell you pretty quick which, which area I'm going to spend the bulk of my time. Um, last thing, as we wrap up this conversation of postseason scouting, how like one thing I like about the way you hunt, Aaron, is is you're not a guy that says postseason scouting only, then get out of the woods and go hunt those places you marked. But you're also not the guy that says I don't even worry about postseason scouting anymore. This is the new cool way of doing it, right? Like this is what I start to hear a lot about now. I don't even do postseason scouting anymore. I only do in-season scouting because I'm cool and I watch the hunting public, um, which that's fine. They do both, but I've heard kind of that growing mm-hmm. notion, right? Um, you do both. You're you're all over both of them. You know, you're you're scouting nonstop. You scout probably more than anybody else that I'm aware of. Uh, so, what is one thing like if you had to either pick out a thing that guys are missing from postseason scouting? Or one thing that could take their postseason scouting sort of up a level, like one key takeaway, what would that be?
1: Well, there's so there's two reasons that I think um, that that I can answer your questions with. I remember what I was going to say earlier, and I have a friend that um, recently was involved in a shooting. He was trying to uh, he was trying to help somebody, and and he saved her life, and he got shot in the process. And he's alive and he's well and he's thriving and he's recovering and he is a freaking awesome human being. And he said to me the other day, we were texting because he just had to have, he, I, I don't want to tell too many details about, about his recovery because that's kind of private. But he had some things uh, that he needed to, some procedures that he needed to go through uh, this week. And he said that he's allowed to, um, he's allowed to drive now. He's allowed to hike difficult cuz he's short of breath he was shot in the lung um but he said you would not believe what 1 hour of time in the woods does for your psyche mm. and i told you that he um i'm 100% sure that the psych part of this is hard right now right like he has 3 little kids Um, that he just adores and he is, he's got a wonderful wife and, um, that's hard when you're like recovering from that and, and you're not at work. So you have a lot of time to think. And, um, he said, you won't believe what one hour in the woods does for your mental health. And if hunting doesn't make your life better, then what are you doing it for? Yeah, that's good. Right. So I think that I get to spend a lot of time with God in the woods. I pray a lot when I'm in the woods. Um, I'm hiking around a lot in the woods and it makes me a better human being when I get home and when I share things like, you know, we've been talking now for two hours and um, it's these things that matter. Right. And it's not because I'm uh, grinding and out or hunting or I think grinding and out is important and that kind of thing. But I, walk around the woods because I just love to be in the woods and it's just my happy place. And it also is impactful because I can help somebody else and I can help somebody else who's going through something. I think that's important Um, because if it's not, uh, if it's not beneficial to somebody else or, or, or to your own health then what are you doing it for? Really? That's good. Um, So that's one reason um, and I think that has, um, been more, you know, the more you, you, when you're in your twenties, you might not think that way, but the older you get, the more that matters to you. And I think that also has, um, ramped up my scouting a lot, um, and, and gotten me to the next level. And it's not even related to scouting. Um, as far as, uh, what actually physically you can do when you're out scouting to make, to make a difference is, um, is the real big takeaway, I think too, for postseason scouting is um, knowing where the deer go when they need more out of something. So um, the most pressured time of the year this year was uh, the first week in November here. And I got a lot of, decent daylight pictures during that first week in November. And I killed my buck on November 8th. Um, I think it's important because um, as I started to get those pictures of deer, some of my other cameras were getting pictures of people. Mm. And now I know where the deer are going when they don't feel good. So now I have a plan for the whole season. And that's the important thing. Um, We talked about, Uh, the plan to what do you look for? How do you tell when that sign was made? Well, I talked about that early season type food. I talked about relating the sign now to how it might be used in that early part of November. We talked about some pre-rut stuff that might give you some intel during the middle of October to the end of October. We talked about a buck's uh, core bedding and um, or maybe where they might be rut bedding. And now I talked about where they get, where people, when people are there, where do they go? Now you got a place to hunt every single day you go out. You have a place that you have an idea. Deer are going to use this now. Why should I hunt there now? Is the wind right for it? Is the food right for it? Because you, especially if you're in the big woods, you know, food changes all the time. Maybe there's white oak acorns or uh, maybe there's not white oak acorns or maybe uh, this plant, you uh, blew up this year and this one didn't um or it, in let's say it's farm country now there's corn now there's beans right the crop rotations that stuff is all important and then you can make a plan for how you're going to hunt that when you're going to hunt that how you're going to access it how you're going to have a wind so now you have a big comprehensive plan and then starting to under me you, you, like back out from the micro stuff now. And you can look at that big picture of how you're going to plan to hunt the whole season. Yeah. Cause I can say, I remember having this conversation with a buddy before the season is like, this is where we're going to hunt the first, where we're going to hunt in that early season, special regs. We're going to hunt here. This is where we're going to hunt during the first two weeks of October. This is where we're going to hunt the middle of October. You got like this big idea. And a lot of times that if you've scouted, you you're going to get it right pretty often. If you've done footwork to find the areas that uh, are places you're looking to hunt.
0: Yeah. Then that's really good. So don't forget to, don't forget to put all the pieces back together, right? Like, like once you've, once you've drilled down on all these little pieces, don't forget to put them back together. I I know for me, man, you get in that, uh, oh gosh, what is it called? Like analysis paralysis, Right. Like you get all the pieces and you're just so overwhelmed and it's like, oh, my goodness. But like, don't forget to stop. Put it back together. Formulate a plan, you know, And like you're saying, a plan for the whole year, you know, make it make it something that's that's going to be helpful and useful for you. So, Aaron, man, where can folks find uh, not only uh, your article that you're talking about, that you were talking about a moment ago, but kind of the rest of the stuff that you're that you're doing and where can they find you on Instagram if they want to connect?
1: Uh, it's, uh, for Instagram, it's Aaron underscore Hepler, um, Aaron Hepler on Facebook as well. Uh, you can find everything that I write on either the tr- truth from the stand podcast, uh, uh, the truth from the stand podcast website, um, the Exodus outdoor gears website. And, um, I do have some stuff with, uh, afflicted broadheads, um, that, that goes up there every now and then. Uh, most of my, tactics and things like that you can find on truth from the stand or exodus outdoor gear um the article that i talked about will um will at some point post on the truth from the stand and um yeah that's where you can find me
0: awesome man thanks for coming back on the show looking forward to having you on again soon
1: thanks for having me man
0: that's all for this week's episode as always thank you so much for tuning in if you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me, suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx.